Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, as we're focusing again on practical Christianity. Just a statement regarding something, and that is the fact that a key element in our spiritual lives is faith. Isn't that true? I mean, that is a key element in our spiritual walk and our spiritual journey. In other words, it's such a key is that we are saved by faith. Isn't that true? Apart from God, it says we, apart from faith, we cannot please God. It says that answered prayers are because they are prayed in faith. That mountains are moved because of faith. That miracles happen because of faith. All throughout the Word of God, it helps us to understand the importance of that element of faith in our spiritual journey. Now, James is here to help us to understand about faith in a practical way. And he's helping us to understand something very, very important. He wants us to understand the relationship between faith and action. He calls it works, but he really means action. The principle of faith and action. We're going to be talking about that, and he's going to help us to understand that. Now, one of the things that we need to grasp before we ever get in the book of James is the fact that faith involves every aspect of the human life. It involves everything about the human life. I'm going to put something up on the board for you that you'll see. I want you to see that there are four aspects of the human experience and human element That all of us know right here. One of them is mental. We have a mind to think, right? The other is emotional and we have emotions. One is volitional. That is our will. And then finally, it's the actionable. Or that's our bodies. That's what we do. Now think about that. We are really, I've, I've shown you before, we are three concentric circles. The outer circle is our body where we function and relate to this world. The inner circle is our soul, which is our mind, emotion, and will. And that innermost circle is our spirit. Isn't that true? We are trichotomous. We have those three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Well, whenever we come to the aspect of faith, faith involves every one of those things. Mental emotional, volitional, and actional. But, but I want you to understand something. There are two of those that can actually be enemies of faith. Let me identify those for you. These two can be enemies of faith. Your mind and your emotions. Now, why is that? Because our mind wants to figure out everything. It wants to have it all understood. And if I can understand it all, then I can believe it. Let me tell you something. If you can understand it all and figure it out all, you don't have to believe it, all right? You already know it. But in your mind, your mind at times is going to hinder your walk with faith. I've heard people say this. It's, well, you know, I don't know if we ought to do that or not because God gave us all a mind. He gave us all a mind and he expects us to use it. He did give us a mind, but I'm here to tell you that mind can be an enemy of faith because God's going to call you by faith to do things that are not easily explained. Whenever he says, get out of the boat and walk on the water, your mind's going to say that can't happen, right? 
When he takes the fish and the loaves and says, go with these fish and loaves and feed 5,000, that's not going to happen with your mind. Isn't that true? So faith is going to be something that is going to be beyond what your mind can understand and grasp. And if you let your mind dictate what you're going to believe, what you're going to accept, and how you're going to walk by faith, it is going to be an enemy to that faith. Also, emotions can be an enemy to it. Because in our emotions, many of us feel like, I need to feel as though it is going to happen before it's going to happen. Or I need to feel it in my spirit before it's going to take place. If you are waiting for your emotions to help you to journey in faith, you're going to be sitting there a long time. Amen? Because there's nothing about faith when God calls you to step out. There's nothing about faith that you're emotionally necessarily going to feel like that that's going to take place. That that's going to happen. That that's going to work. It's going to be beyond that. But whenever you do take that step of faith and all of a sudden you see God show up, now your emotions will come along and say, wow, isn't God great? So two aspects of our lives, our mind and our emotions can actually be an enemy to faith. Let me show you the ones that we need. This is what James is going to be talking about. Over on this side, our will, our body, that volitional, actional. You know what faith is? Faith is a choice, isn't it? Faith is a choice. You're going to decide whether or not you're going to do it or not. And then whenever you make that choice, which is volitional, then because you choose that you're going to do it and you're going to act by faith, it's going to bring about an action, and that action is going to reveal your faith. The action corresponds to that faith. It's it's what puts activity to what you say that you believe. And all throughout God's word, this principle is true. All throughout God's word, it is there. When Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. You have faith? Take up your bed and walk. To the man who has a withered hand, reach out your hand. Isn't that what he says? When he said to the children of Israel, I want you to cross over on dry land you got to walk in the midst of the Red Sea. Or when he tells the priest, as they're going to go into the, over into the promised land, put your feet into the waters of the Jordan while they are in flood stage, and the waters will stop. It always takes action. It is that faith and action principle. There is a faith and action principle that is the lifeblood of the faith walk in your Christian experience. So we've got to get to this point where we are choosing to believe God and then we're having actions that correspond to that fact that we are believing God. Amen. Now, you say, well, how do we overcome? How do we overcome this aspect of these two enemies? How do you get beyond your mind and your emotion? Glad you asked. You know how you do that? You get in the word of God. Whenever you get into the word of God, the word of God will speak to your heart. And as the word of God speaks to your heart and the word reveals that he is who he says he is and his promises are true, it gives to you the gift of faith. You can have God create within your heart that gift of faith where you can move beyond what your mind and emotions are telling you. I'm having a hard time grasping that. How do you overcome your mind and emotion? By the word of God that bursts faith into your heart and into your life. Now, These are principles, and that's what James is talking about. This passage we're going to deal with is James explaining about this faith principle of choosing 
and having actions that correspond with that faith. He's going to help us to understand that faith and action principle. Now, before we do that, I want to give you some key words. If you're going to understand this passage, and, and it, it, this, this passage is very confusing to some people. It, there's all kinds of debates about, well, are we saved by faith or are we fa- saved by works? Which one are we saved by, faith or by works? And people will debate that all the time. It's very simple what he's trying to help them to understand. But to understand it, you need to understand some key words. So you ought to circle these words in the text in your, in your Bible. One of those words, of course, is faith. Another word is says or say. You need to circle that, to say or says. Another word is the word works. He's going to say works over and over again. But what that word works means is really action. It's the word ergon in the Greek language. And it doesn't mean just a work. It means an action that corresponds to that which you say you're holding or you're believing. You're going to do something. God's going to require you to do something in relationship to that faith that you say that you have. Faith and action. Another word is the word dead. You ought to circle that every time it's said. The word useless. There's a word in there called useless. And then the word justified. Those are the key words that will help you to grab and grab hold of the truth that he is wanting us to understand. Now, let's see what James says about this faith action principle. There in, in chapter 2, verse 14, the very first thing is he states the principle. Here it is. Verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says that he has faith? Okay, there's that word. He what? He says, he speaks, he communicates that he has faith, but he has no works. Right there, actions. Put that word, action. He says that he has faith, but he has no action. Here's the question. Can that faith save you or save him? Can that kind of faith save him? If all he does is say that he has faith, but he does not have a corresponding action that goes along with that faith, can that faith save him? Now, that's not just a question of can that faith save him, but can that faith do anything else in the Christian life that we just said that happens because of faith? The first thing that faith's going to do is to bring you in relationship to Jesus. Amen? You don't need to be worried about faith other than the fact of bringing you to Jesus. And once you get to Jesus, then you begin to practice faith in Jesus, and he'll show you all kinds of things. Amen? So if if that faith can't save you, then that faith also is not going to bring about miracles in your life. If that faith can't save you, that faith is not going to be a kind of faith that pleases God. If that faith can't save you, it is not that kind of faith that is a praying kind of faith that you see the hand of God work and move. That kind of faith must be the kind of faith that saves you and does everything else in the Christian life. And he asked that question. If somebody just says that they have faith, but there are no corresponding actions that reveal that they have that faith, is that really biblical faith? Is that the faith that Jesus talks about and that Jesus wants in your life? That's the principle. Isn't that the question? Pretty clear, right? He says, I'm going to answer that question. I want to address this issue. Is saying something and speaking something enough? Or is there something that's supposed to go on with it? Now, you've, you've encountered that. Have you ever encountered somebody who you'll ask them, say, listen, are you a Christian? Yeah, I believe in God. 
Yes, I have faith in, even in Jesus. They'll say that. But their life is totally contrary. Their life is not submissive to God. It's not pleasing to God. It's not according to God's word. But they'll say, yes, I am a Christian. Well, that's something they're saying. But you also have to what? You have to have a corresponding actions that are consistent with what you say. If you're a child of God and you're saved and you said Jesus is Savior and Lord of your life, don't you think he ought to be acting like Lord of your life and don't you think you ought to submit to him? Exactly. Exactly, we ought to be doing that. So he's asking that point. Is just saying that you have faith enough or is there something supposed to go along with it like action? Then he gives some illustrations. The first illustrations he gives are what I would call contemplative illustrations. They're contemplative. That means he gives this illustration and it doesn't have anything to do with what he's saying. It's something he just wants you to think about and answer that question. That's what he says in verse 15. Here's an illustration. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? That's the first illustration. Now, he's not saying, don't tie all of that, don't tie all of that to what it means to be a Christian. Well, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to give give, uh, food and clothing to poor people. And that's how you're Christian. That ain't got anything to do with that. Now, as Christians, we need to be willing to give food and clothing to those in need. Amen? Because that's what Jesus taught us to do. But that's not what this passage is about. He's simply asking a question. If there's somebody who has a need, they need clothing and they need food, and they come to a brother and say, I need food and clothing, and all that brother or sister does is says, well, you be blessed. You just be blessed. And may you be warmed, and may you have all the clothes you need, and may you have all the food you need, blessings upon you. He says, did that make them warm? Did did that fill their hungry belly? No, the answer is absolutely not. Because saying something doesn't make a difference. What would make a difference is when I say, You be blessed, my brother. And then I would have corresponding actions that said, I'm going to go give you some food. A corresponding action that I'm going to go give you some clothes. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Now there's something that has happened. And now that brother has been blessed. And now we've actually done something. Amen. So if you just say something and you don't do anything, does it really amount to anything? Here's what he says. Here's the conclusion. When he says in verse 17... Even so, here's the application, even so faith, faith, if it has no actions or no works, is dead, being by itself. In other words, he said, if all you're going to do is speak about your faith and talk about your faith and and there's nothing that corresponds to your faith and no action taking, it's just as dead as that point of that guy trying to help the other one and that made no difference in his life. Okay? That's the first illustration contemplate think about it i mean you, you don't take a smart person to, to realize and if he's just saying be warm to be filled and he doesn't do anything that doesn't bless that brother at all neither does saying speaking about faith and not having any action to it here's the second contemplative illustration verse number 18 but someone may well say you have faith and i have works Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith 
by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. He gives the illustration of two people. And they're going to reveal their faith and their works. And one person comes up and says, listen, I want to show you my faith. I want to show you my faith. And, and, and I want you to see that. But they absolutely do nothing. They don't have, Can you show me your faith? Can any of you bring your faith up here and let me hold it a minute? Can you bring your faith up here? I would like for you to bring it out of your pocket, take it out of your Bible, wherever you carry your faith, I want you to bring it up here so I can see that you have it. Can you do that? No. So, so when he says, this person is speaking, he says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. Can you do that? Can you show me your faith? Without your works? No. Faith is impossible to show. It's impossible to be seen apart from works. So here's the person who says, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. But they absolutely do nothing in relationship to that faith. There is no action that's consistent with that faith. How in the world do you know that that person has faith? God says, you show me your faith. You show me your faith without works. But this guy says, but I will show you, I will show you my faith by my works. How how do you reveal, how do you reveal your faith? You can't show it to anybody. How do you reveal your faith? Because there's a corresponding action that says, I have faith. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I have faith. The reason that I'm responding this way is because I have faith. By his work. So he says, here's the one who says he's got faith. Here's the one who's doing the works to reveal his faith. And for the guy who just says he has faith, he says, if you just say that you have faith, are you in good company? He says, here's the company you hold. You believe that God is one? In other words, you say you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and they fear or they shudder. If you just say you have faith, it's just something you say in your mind. The, the demons of hell believe that. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that God is one. Amen? And not only do they believe it, they also even fear him and respect him. So if you just say that you have faith, but you have no action to reveal it, you're no different. The, the demons of hell believe that. But what's going to be different in your life and my life is the fact that we believe and therefore we respond and we have actions that are consistent with what we say. And that reveals our faith. Here's his conclusion. It's in there, verse 20. Look what he says. But you are, are, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, here's the conclusion, that faith without works is useless. Faith without actions is useless. He's already said faith without actions is dead, right? He said it's dead. Now he says faith without action is useless. It's just another word for dead. There's nothing more useless than something dead. Do you know that? It really is. There's nothing more useless than something dead. You have a beautiful flower and, and, and you have enjoyed the beauty and it withers away and it dies. Do you leave it on your desk? No. Because it's not useful anymore. Right? I used to raise cattle. 
When I raised cattle, I had some, some of the most beautiful cattle you'd see. And they raised beautiful calves and everything else. But did you know whenever one of them died, they were absolutely useless. I'd have to go dig a hole with a backhoe, drag the cow in there and push it in a hole and cover it up. Couldn't do a thing for itself. Absolutely useless. Why? Because it was dead. It was dead. Faith that is dead is useless. And faith is just what we say and it doesn't have any action with it. It's dead and useless. That's what James is saying to us. Those are two illustrations just for you to think. Just for you to contemplate. Just for you to get in your mind. Is this, could this really be true what he's saying that, that faith without action is dead and useless? Think about it. Now he turns around and he gives two illustrations that are affirmative. They're affirming illustrations about what he says about faith and action. Listen to those illustrations. Here it is in verse 21. Was not Abraham, that's a pretty good person to start with, right? The father of faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now here's the key. I had you to circle that word justified. You know why I want you to circle that? Because of all things, that's the most important word in this whole thing. Justified means to be made right and just with God, and it means to live right and just with God. That's what we're ultimately get wanting, right? We ultimately want to be right with God. We want to be justified in our living for God. And so that's the answer. This is how the father Abraham was justified by his works. Remember, that's the word action. By his actions. When what? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. That story is found in Genesis chapter 22. You remember it, don't you? Isaac was the promised son that God gave to Abraham and Sarah when he was 100 and Sarah was 90. Imagine that. (laughs) Gave him this son, the son of promise, and he promised that through this son that the lineage of Abraham would be greater than the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. That he was going to be, that his lineage was going to be blessed, and that there would be many, many descendants of Abraham. After Isaac was born, God commands, and he tells him in Genesis 22, I want you to take your son, and I want you to offer him on the altar of sacrifice. I want you to go to the holy mountain and offer him on the altar of sacrifice. I want you to read that story. We don't have time to read it this morning. Read it when you get home, because every word is important. Do you know what it said? It says, it says, and the next morning he got up early. If you were going to go have to sacrifice your beloved son, would you get up early? Do you ever get up early? And would you get up early on a day like he gets up early? <laughs> he prepares the, the donkeys that he's going to go. He takes his servants with him and they travel to a place. And he comes to the foot of the mountain and he tells those servants, you stay here. Me and the boy, we're going to go up on the mountain and we are going to worship. Going to do what? We're going to worship. And he not only says that, we're going to worship. Read it when you get home. And we will return. We're going to worship and we will return. And they carry the knife and they carry the, the, uh, the fire and they're going up there, and Isaac asked his dad, said, Dad, I see the knife, and I see the fire, and I see, but I, where's the sacrifice? And, and Abraham says, God will provide. 
He goes up there, he prepares the altar, and he takes his son and places him on that altar of sacrifice. He takes out his knife as though he's going to plunge into the heart of that boy. And God stays his hand and says, wait a minute, says, now I know. Now, it's not God. God already knows, but it's actually the heavenly host who's watching this. It's like God's told the heavenly host, do you know how much Abraham loves me? Do you know how much Abraham believes in me? Do you know how great this man is? He will do whatever I command him, even if it means to take his life, the life of his son. And the heavenly host finally sees that Abraham is going to do that. God stays his hand. They find a ram in a thicket. They offer that altar on the altar of sacrifice, that worship experience. And they come back down and they join the service just like Abraham said. And all of that action is because he's a man of faith. But if God had commanded him and said, I want you to take your son up there on the altar of sacrifice, and he says, I believe it, God. I believe it, but I'm not going. I believe that you have, I believe that you could, I believe that you would. I, I, I trust in you, but I'm not going anywhere. Then he would not be justified. But it says, Abraham was justified, made right with God, because of the fact that he had faith in God. And he had such faith in God that he believed this. It's found in Hebrews 11, that God's Hall of Fame, it tells you. He believes this. If God can bring forth life out of a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, if he can bring life out of that and God requires of me to offer my son on the altar of sacrifice, he can bring him back to life. If he required me to burn him to ashes, God can bring life back into him because I know that God will because he must live. He must live because he is going to be the one through whom I have my lineage and a dead boy in ashes will not make any lineage. But he didn't just go and discuss that with God and say, God, I know you can. I got to know you will. I go, I know you work all that out. I know it. He has to carry out his actions. And, and listen to what it says right there. Verse 22. You see that faith was working with his, with his, his, working with his actions. And as a result of it, the works, faith was perfected. How was his faith completed? There's something missing in our faith if we just speak our faith. There's something that has to come along and, and add to it to complete that. How do you complete your faith? The action. The action that corresponds to the faith that you say you have. And when you have that action that corresponds to faith, it brings to perfection or completion that faith. And look what it says happened. He says about Abraham because his faith is completed. How would you like this said about you? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God... And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. First thing, he believed God and he was made righteous. But not only that, and he was called the friend of God. Abraham, based on his faith and his action corresponding to that faith, he was made righteous and he was called the friend of God. Because he not only spoke his faith, he lived his faith. Even in one of the most challenging experiences anyone could go through in life. He spoke it. He lived it. He spoke it. He lived it. You got to do that. You got to do that. When God calls on you to believe something, you have 
to live and change your life and let your living correspond to that. Jesus says that in, in Mark 11, 23 and 24. Write that down. You know what Jesus talks about faith? He says this. Faith is believing and living as though it is so in order for it to be so. That means that whenever God gives you a promise, or whenever God speaks to you a promise, you're supposed to start living like it's so. You don't wait till it's so to live like it's so. You live like it's so in order for it to be so. Did y'all get all those so's? People say, well, man, I tell you, once I see it, I'll believe it. That ain't ever going to happen. That ain't the way God works. You know what God says? You believe it and you'll see it. But you got to believe it. And if you really believe it, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change what you say. It's going to change the very action of your life. In other words, one simple thing about that is whenever you're asking God for something and God gives you a promise and God says, okay, this is your promise. This is what I want you to do. Then don't keep asking for it. Don't ask for it anymore. He already told you. He said it's yours. So what do you do? You begin to thank God for it. Thank you, God. Thank you that this is mine. I don't hold it in my hand yet, but it's mine. I praise you for it. And you begin to tell other people about it. That's an action. You're supposed to tell other people, man, you know what God's done? It's what God has done for me. When that happened, well, it hadn't happened yet. But it is going to happen because God's told me it's going to happen. They're going to think you're an idiot. They're going to think you've lost a marble. That's all right. Listen, people in the word of God right here, many of them were thought to be foolish of mine because they were trusting the living God rather than their sight. And their actions were consistent with what God was telling them, not what their mind was telling them or what their emotions said couldn't happen. They just chose to believe God and began to act as though it's so. Amen? Let me show you another person. Who's an illustration? Here, another illustration he gives. Look at it. Well, let me give you the conclusion. His conclusion is verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And here's the second illustration. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot. Also, here's that word, justified by works. When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, you're talking about James and being practical. What could be more practical than to compare those two people? You're comparing Abraham, the father of faith, to Rahab, the harlot. Matter of fact, let's put up on the board some of the comparison between these two people. Look at, what, look at, look at the difference of them. Go ahead and put them up. He was a man, she's a woman. He's an Israelite, she's a Canaanite. He's the father of the chosen people, she's a harlot. He followed God for years and she responded quickly to God's invitation. That's about as different as you could get, right? So why in the world would God, would James use, inspired by the Spirit of God, would he use Abraham and use Rahab? Because this principle right here, this truth right here. Go ahead to the principle. Reveals that faith and action principle works for all. You don't have to be the super saint You can't compare to Abraham. You might compare to Rahab the harlot more than you would Abraham. Amen? But notice what it says. Both of them are in God's hall of fame. Both of them are are written up in Hebrews 11. And both of them were chosen to be in the lineage of Jesus. So anybody 
can live by faith, walk by faith, the faith action principle works. What did she do? She had faith in God. She didn't even know this God. She had seen what God had done over to Jericho, at, at, not Jericho, over at the Jordan River. He, she had heard about all the, the victories that had, heard about what had happened in Egypt. And she knew that this was a God. She heard the people in Jericho who were all anxious about what was going to happen. And they were fearful. It said their hearts melted within them. She heard all of that. But whenever those messengers came, she had an action that was consistent with it. She said, listen, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you because I want you to do this protect me. Amen. Because I know what's going to happen. God's already going to reveal to me. God's going to do this. And as God does, that's going to be a marvelous thing. But I need for you to protect me. And so she, she saves their life. She sends them out another way. And then whenever it comes and Jericho is defeated, Rahab and all those in her family were saved. But she wasn't saved because she said, I believe it. She was saved because she hid those messengers and sent them out another way. And a covenant was made with her. And she was saved. Why? Because there's a faith action principle. Faith action principle. Here's the ultimate conclusion in the final illustration, verse 26. And just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without action is dead. If you have faith and you don't have any action that corresponds to that faith, it is dead or it is useless. Now, Listen to me. That means if you're here and you say you have faith in God, but your life is not, you don't have a corresponding actions in your life that say that you have faith in the living God and He's transforming you. You're not trying to work your way to heaven. It's the fact your faith in God has transformed your life and you have corresponding works that, and actions that are a part of your life. If you're believing God for something and you say you're trusting God for something, but in that you just say you're trusting, but your actions don't reveal that in your heart, then you're not really having faith. One of the real crises we have in our Christian experience is that many of us are not having action with our statements of faith. Therefore, we're not seeing anything happen because we don't have actions consistent with it. And if we just say it without actions, it's dead. It's useless. You've got to have actions that correspond to what you say. And that's what James is talking about. You say, well, is that just James talking about? It? No, it's all throughout the Bible. Jesus said, take up your bed, stretch out your hand. He says to the guy, go to the pool, Salome. Every time he's asking him to do it, asking him to do it. And whenever they did, they were healed. In the Old Testament, walk across on dry ground. What about David and Goliath? David says, I believe I can do it. I can believe I can do it. I believe I whipped that giant. Is that what whipped the giant? No. He took his sling and five stones and went out in faith because he said, it's not me. It's the power of Almighty God who's going to do it. And by faith, he defeated a giant. David knows how the giant's going to fall. He says, I'm not coming with you with sword. I'm not coming with you with spear. I'm coming to you in the powerful name of God. And his actions brought about a great victory. I challenge you, go in the Word of God anywhere, and where faith is, you will always find a living faith that has action. And you have to have it too. It will give vitality to your spiritual life, and it's absolutely necessary for your salvation. But you not just say you have faith, you respond in faith. Amen? That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. 
Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.